pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was recently talking to uh, Jacob, my son, who's off at college, and he was uh, faced with um, some opportunities, and he was deliberating over what he should do. And uh, so he had called me and was asking me for some counsel, and, and, and really he asked me the $64,000 question. That's why I said, boy, you've asked me, son, the $64,000 question. He said, Dad, how do I determine what God's will is in this matter? What does he want me to do? And I said, but son, I started laughing. I said, son, that's the $64,000 question. He goes, what does that mean? And I realized I was dating myself. So for you young people, that was a game show, the $64,000 question. And, uh, and, and I laughed about it. I told him, I said, son, if I had a dollar as a pastor, if I had a dollar for every time I had been asked the question about God's will for someone's life in a certain situation, I said, I would be paying cash for your out-of-state tuition. Okay, because it is the most common question uh, uh, I get asked in the ministry and every pastor gets asked. And, and I mean, I just jotted down a few examples from just the beginning of the year. All right, this is since the 1st of January. I have been asked by people, God's will, about uh, job opportunities, moving out of state for job opportunities, just moving out of state for other reasons, whether or not to take a relationship to the next level, whether or not to end a relationship, whether or not to divorce a spouse. Both men and women have asked me that question, well, unfortunately. Uh, whether or not it was God's will to join our church, whether or not it was God's will to buy a house, whether or not it was God's will to sell a house, whether or not it was God's will to invest in the business, whether or not it was God's will to become a missionary, you get the idea? This is by far the, the biggest question that, in the ministry that I get asked. Every pastor gets asked. Now, if that question wasn't enough, as we we're talking about Jacob then threw in a zinger, right? Threw in a zinger question. He said, since, Dad, since God is sovereign over everything, he's been studying a lot of theology lately and been getting into it. He goes, you know, since God is sovereign over everything and all of life, he goes, does it really matter what I decide? Isn't anything I just, whatever choice I make, isn't that God's will? Ooh. I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, that's where, where the rubber gets started. This is a variation of the God's will question that, that is often asked, and it is much more complicated. And a lot of times it's being asked under duress because of emotional duress, since God is sovereign over the world and over these events in our lives, we're asking it, essentially saying, you know, I've been praying and I've been praying for the salvation of my loved one for years. Why doesn't God answer my prayer and bring this person to faith? You know, I, I, I prayed and I fasted for my loved one to be healed and they died. And, and you can go on and on and on. And so the implication, you know, when, when you get into these types of situations, it's very easy to, depending upon how you look at the Scriptures and apply the truths of the Scripture in these types of situations, you can very quickly, as you compare God's sovereignty to the events of our lives, you can begin to ask what good does it do to even pray? 
And so this petition is important because this petition touches on this really important question, and it interacts with God's sovereignty in life as we are maybe in the midst of trials and tribulations and difficult situations and choices that we need to make. Should we pray? What good does it do to pray? Why pray? This third petition is important. This third petition is the last of the vertical petitions, the upward-focused petitions, right? And, and as we move on from this one, the petitions are very much very personal, horizontal, our personal needs. But the first three are all about us looking up towards God. They're God-focused. And i got to be honest with you, the first three sermons of this series I was really looking forward to. This sermon, from the get-go, has filled me with some trepidation. My track record with this petition blows. It's not really good. Um, I come to this sermon with a lot of trepidation and skittishness because of my life history grappling with this question, these questions as it relates to prayer. I mean, what, what it really comes down to, right, is praying your will be done. This encompasses some of the highest concepts and the grandest truths of the Bible. It also, it brings us face to face with some of the hardest realities of the faith, of our calling to follow Jesus, to, to pray like Jesus. Let's, let's start with this idea of the concept. Praying your will be done is going to bring us face to face with, I mean, some of the absolutely the highest concepts and grandest truths of the Bible. I mean, start right there with your will. God's will. I mean, what is God's will? I mean, when we start with that right there, we immediately are confronted with an incredible concept in the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible? And when you're talking about, when you run into God's will and God wills this, God wills that, God desires this, God desires that, if you read it very, very much, sooner or later, if you think about it, you're going to begin to wonder, is God schizophrenic? Are there contradictions in the Bible? And, and if you don't realize that the issue or the answer is, in the Bible, there are multiple types of God's will. There are different wills of God in the Bible. And so when you come across the will of God in the Bible, you have to ask the question, which will am I dealing with here? Okay? Now already, maybe for some of you, you're going, huh? Really? Yeah. There's several. For example, there is the decretive will. The decretive will. D-E-C-R-E-T-I-V-E, if you like, don't know how to spell it and take notes. The decretive will. This is the secret will of God, the eternal purposes of God. This is the, the big plan, eternal, you know, only God knows, before the foundations of the world type of thing, plan of God right? This is the, the plan of God that unfolds in our lives. We, we don't know the decretive secret will of God until we experience it 
in our lives. We know it through events. You, you know the decretive will of God when you pick up the newspaper in the morning and you read what's going on in the world. That's, it unfolds, right? Um, it's, it's, the, it's the big things, the big plan. It's what God says in Isaiah 46. I think Isaiah 46 is in our community Bible reading this, this week. It's coming up. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, when he's talking to the men who crucified Jesus, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man. That, that phrase, definite plan and foreknowledge, that is a synonymous phrase. They mean the same thing. Definite plan comes from the Greek word boule, and whenever you see boule in the New Testament, it's typically referring to the eternal big picture, decretive will, the secret plan of God. In other words, God decreed that Jesus would be crucified on the cross for our sins before the foundations of the world ever were laid. He foreordained it. Okay? This is the decretive will of God. Then there's the preceptive will of God. This is the will of God's command. It is the revealed will of God that we get in the scriptures, and we know it because it's in black and white. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 29, Moses says, the secret things, they belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this, what's the last word there? Law. Okay, this is the, the revealed word. These are the precepts of God. These are the principles of Scripture that are laid out that say, do this, don't do that. This is how you live your life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we get an example of it. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, what's the next phrase? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the revealed, in some sense, we know the will of God because it is revealed to us. It says, this is the will of God, regardless of your circumstances. Be content, give thanks. Okay, so there's the decretive will, there's the preceptive will, the revealed will, and then there is the dispositional will of God. The dispositional will of God is revealing God's heart his attitude towards something. It, it, it reveals what God sees as being agreeable or disagreeable. So for example, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, you see that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing, here we go, that any should perish, but that all should come to his repentance. So wait a second. God isn't willing that anybody should die and be separated from him from all of eternity and go to hell. But yet, God judges people and decrees before the foundations of the world who is elect. That's not computing. Do we have a contradiction in God? No, you have two different wills being expressed. And here's the thing that's going to just, Wow. The dispositional will of God is superseded by the decretive will of God. 
In other words, God will decree something that actually doesn't bring him pleasure in his heart. He takes no delight, he says, in the death of the wicked. In other words, when he judges, he's like, going, ha, 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 ha. No, it grieves the heart of God that he has to bring his judgment upon those who reject his son, Jesus Christ. It grieves his heart that he has to bring his wrath upon those who sin and do not receive the gift of salvation. It grieves his heart. This is the dispositional will of God. Okay? These are high concepts. There's even a fourth one. It's not talked about very much in the Bible, but there's something that's known as the secret and revealed will of God. How about that? Now that makes you go boom. But in other words, there are places where the Bible peels back the curtain and it gives us a glimpse into what God is doing with his eternal purposes. It gives us a glimpse into the grand plan of God. And when that happens, that's referred to as the secret and revealed will of God. You get what I'm getting at here? You see what I'm getting at? The very concept of God's will. It is a high concept. It is a complex concept. But there's something else here, right? What good does it do to pray? Your will, whichever will we're talking about, right? Decretive or preceptive, your will be done. Boule or thelema, thelema is the preceptive will typically. Most of the time, what, whichever will we're praying, what good does it actually do? There's a grand truth in this petition. Don't miss it. By Jesus commanding for us to pray, your will be done, he's answering the question, what good does it do to even pray if God is sovereign over everything? What he's telling us is that our prayers are a vital part of God's decretive secret will. Our prayers play a part in bringing about what God has already decreed to occur. Everybody take your hands, bring them up to your head, come on, and go, there you go. Now, we, we see this in other ways, though, right? Um, let's, let's put it like this. We know, according to scriptures, that God ordains the ends. I mean, he's sovereign over everything. He has a plan. He's ordained the ends and what's going to occur. But the scriptures also show us that God ordains the means to the ends. You see, there's a concept in the Bible, there's a concept of what we would call primary cause and secondary causes. Primary means and secondary means. Primary means that God himself does it. So for example, God decreed before the foundations of the world that Jesus would go to the cross, die on that cross, right? And he decreed that after three days of being in the grave, he would be resurrected from the grave. Now, who resurrected Jesus from the grave? Everyone, who resurrected him? God, right. He was the primary cause, the primary means for bringing about 
that resurrection. Sometimes we pray for people to be healed of their disease and their illness. And occasionally, occasionally, very rarely, but occasionally, somebody comes back and says, the cancer is gone. And we all go, (laughs) God healed the person miraculously with no intervention from anything else. He was the primary cause, the primary means. But normally, in the normal scheme of things, God works through secondary causes, secondary means. Normally, God answers our prayer to heal someone from that disease, from that illness, whatever, through what? Doctors, medicine, because all truth, all knowledge are the gifts of God that he gives to humanity. All truth comes from God, whether it's medical truth, financial truth, mathematical truth, scientific truth, no matter what it is, if the truth is in the medicine, if the truth is in the numbers, those of you who are accountants and investment people, guess what? That is God's truth. All truth is from God. And he works through the secondary means of a doctor. In the scriptures, we see this very clearly. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He has ordained how people will come into the kingdom of God. The ends, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without what? Someone preaching. So God has ordained the ends, how someone comes into the kingdom. They come through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. He's also ordained the means through the proclamation of the gospel. You and me preaching, proclaiming, telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. He's ordained the ends, he's ordained the means. God works out his plans through his saints. What's interesting, in Ephesians chapter two, right? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has created for us to do. He has ordained the means. You and I, the saints of God, serving, proclaiming the gospel, and guess what? It starts with prayer. You were chosen, you were saved in part to pray. Let me repeat that. You were chosen before the foundations of the world were ever laid to be saved and redeemed and to come into God's family in part to pray so that God's will in heaven would occur on earth. Don't ever think your prayers are not important. Jesus himself says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that what? Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
James tells us in James chapter 5 to confess our sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is totally meaningless and of no value because God is sovereign. No, as it is working. Our prayers. Prayer isn't something, folks, that we're just allowed to do. It's not some psychological placebo that God gives to his people. Prayer is something that we were chosen to do. It's one of the primary ways and means through which God carries out his divine plan. It is prayer is aligning our hearts and our will with God's heart and God's will. Prayer is not getting God to dance to our tune. Prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It is getting us to dance to God's tune. Prayer is getting heaven's will done on earth. That's why we pray. And so when we pray, your will be done, we are participating in God's grand, secret, eternal plan. Back in the, back in the fall, we, talked, we asked you as part of our theme, we said, hey, who is your one? Who is that person? We want to see our church grow. We want to see the kingdom grow. We want to see people come to know Christ. Who is your one? Who is that person that you would love to see God redeem? Are you praying? for that person. Passionately, consistently, regularly, bringing them up before the throne of God, beseeching God for that person's salvation or for that person's return to the family of God. Who's your one? Prayer. Praying this, man, it's a high. It's a grand truth, high concept. We come face to face with it. Wow. But listen, when we come face to face with this, it's also one of the hardest realities of the Christian faith and of life itself. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Think about that for a second. How is God's will done in heaven? Okay, who does God's will in heaven? Who carries out God's will from heaven? Somebody? Angels, right. All right, Gabriel, I want you to go do blah, 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 blah. I want you to go down and to Covenant Church here on Sunday morning, and I want you to bless that church. God, do I have to? Really? Oh, come on, not again. Oh, man, can't you send Michael or somebody else? Is that how God's will is done in heaven? No. How is God's will done in heaven? It's done joyfully and exuberantly and sincerely, right? They willingly jumping into it. Now, can you see where this would cause difficulty when we pray for God's secret, decretive will to be done or God's revealed will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? I mean, think about it for a second. 
the secret decretive will of God is to ask that will that it unfolds. We experience it, right? And I got news for you. Inevitably in your life, as that will unfolds, it is accompanied with pain. Sometimes the secret will of God unfolds in our lives very painfully. And as we experience it, it can be very difficult and hard to pray, your will be done with joy and sincerely pray your will be done when you're in the middle of something that frankly it's not good it hurts how do you pray that sincerely it's difficult remember i told you how i came to this one with trepidation I, i mean i come with a horrible track record on this one Right, Catherine and I have walked with MJ for 25 years, a really hard road. And when I come to this petition, for most of that time, I have prayed this petition, and it's been with trepidation, it's been with resentment, or it's been a lot of times with just dread been just dread a lot of times it's just been with resignation all right your will be done or fatalism sometimes it's been prayed with depression a lot of times it's been prayed with anger all right your will be done with clenched teeth i mean think about the body postures of these petitions how they can work out right we come to Hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name, oh God. You are the omnipotent, all-powerful, yada, yada, yada. Your kingdom come, yes! Spread your kingdom all across the world, yes! Your will be done on earth. It's very easy for that to be the posture of our bodies when we come to this petition. You've been praying for years for the salvation of your loved one, for your child to come back to the fold. It's so easy. For this petition to be prayed, not with joy, not with exuberance, not with sincerity, but with a sense of hopelessness or fatalism or dread. That's the, it's hard. And how about the revealed will of God? Praying for the revealed will of God. It brings us face to face with the hard realities of the Christian life. One of them is is that we want to treat the revealed will of God like it's the decretive will of God. We, 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 we confuse these things, and, and we want God to reveal His will to us, and we want Him to do something that God just will not do. He won't do it. We want to know God's will. God, I want to know your will about this job, about this girl, about this guy, whether I should marry, whether I should do this. God, would you reveal your will to me? How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, show me your will about fill in the blank? Raise your hand this morning. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you got a crystal clear answer? Okay. I mean, the, the, the difficulty here 
And even those of you who got a crystal clear answer, how do you know it was from God? Uh Uh-oh. Because the Bible says that Satan is a deceiver and he appears as an angel of light. How do you know that that voice or that whatever that you heard that told you to do X wasn't your enemy whispering in your ear? For that matter, how do you know it just wasn't a bad case of indigestion from the pizza you had last night? Okay? Because here's the issue. When it comes to God's will, we fall smack dab in the middle of what James talks about. We're asking amiss when it comes to God. We're approaching God and completely the wrong way. We're misguided in our very approach to God. Oh God, show me your will and what I should do in this situation. And in truth, what we're doing with this question is we're really saying, God, you have this grand plan and and I think there's something here. Would you hit the pause button on this grand plan? And, and would you like to show me a preview of the movie so that I would know what my choice should be here and the decision should be? And, and I, need that. I, need, I need some secret, you know, decoder ring insight into that whole decreed secret will of yours. Folks, it's called a secret for a reason, right? It's the secret will of God. But what we're doing a lot of times is we're saying, could it not quite be so secret? And instead, could it be revealed? We're wanting God to make his secret will the revealed will. See, we we have these things confused in our heads. Do you you check where I'm going here? And so it causes a problem. And so instead, we start treating God's will like it's a matter of reading the tea leaves. Or we do other superstitious things. And we begin to treat God like he's some kind of a crystal ball. Or we start making decisions because of urges and impressions and this and that. Or we we throw out fleeces. Right? I'm going to throw out a fleece. Guys, there's the concept of fleece in the book of Judges. Gideon threw out a fleece. Gideon threw out a fleece because he would not believe the direct communication and revelation of God's secret plan. I mean, God said, do this. Can't get any clearer. And Gideon said, really? I don't think so. Let me throw out a fleece. And God graciously, mercifully, because of his divine plan, said, all right, I'll do this. That does not mean that we come to God and start throwing out fleeces everywhere. That was a sign of Gideon's lack of faith, is what that was. So what it comes down to is when we pray, your will be done. Now, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. What do we do? We'll start with what God has already revealed. That's where we start. And that's hard. You know why that's hard? Because a lot of times we don't know what he has revealed. We don't know it. He has revealed so much of his will for us and how we are to live and the decisions that we are going to make and he's given us the guidelines for making these life decisions it's in the bible it's filled with these 
this his will, but it requires us to take the time to diligently, consistently, regularly read it, study it, meditate on it, discuss it, own it, let it absorb into our souls so that when we come to decisions, we're looking at them through the grid of God's thinking. And when we look at decisions in life through the grid of God's thinking, guess what? Chances are we're going to be making decisions that are in God's will because we're looking at them through the grid of how God thinks. Martin Luther, he said this, he said, we must keep in view his word and leave alone his inscrutable will. For it is by his word and not by his inscrutable will that we must be guided. You know what he's getting at? Stop wasting so much time saying, Lord, reveal to me your will. What should I do in marrying this gal? We'll go to his word. Start asking some questions. All right. Is she a Christian? Um, no. God has spoken. See how easy that was? You now know God's will. The answer is no. Okay? God, I really like that 2018 Ford extended cab truck. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Are you already tithing and giving to the kingdom? No, well, no, not really. Can you afford it? Is it in your budget? Are you giving to the kingdom? Blah, blah, blah. Yes, I am. Are you laying aside for retirement? Blah, blah, blah. Yes, I am. Are you supporting the poor and helping in the needs of the... Yes, I am. All right. Can you afford it? And, and re- yes, I can. Awesome. Go buy that Ford 2018 extended cap. And pick the color you like. You, you see how that works? Okay? See, because, because God's truth is all throughout the Bible. Right? There's, God's truth is, you know... In the, it's in the scriptures, and it talks about, hey, I go and I talk with a multitude of counselors. That's a principle. Before you make decisions, go talk to a multitude of counselors. You know, is, is it violating clear commands of the scriptures? Uh, is, if, if you're looking at something that has to do with finances and jobs or moves and this, all of you accountants, see if I see my accountant here this morning, okay? And, and you invest, I see Mike rolling back over here. All you and Matt Van Summers over here, all y'all, y'all are going to love this one right here. Bob Jensen, he, he was good about showing me this one in some very practical ways about eight or nine years ago. You ready for this statement? Here you go. This is the most practical, godly statement. God's will is in the numbers. Right? God's will is in the numbers. So often we make this, and you know what we're really doing? So often, but the reason why this is so hard is because our will and our flesh is so fallen and sinful, we come right up against God's revealed will and we don't like it. And when we pray, Lord, would you show me your will? What we're really asking him to do is give us a stamp of approval to do something that is already violating what he's revealed. And so we will go deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. We didn't need to pray about that. It wasn't in the numbers. 
And the scriptures already talk about numbers and debt and how to handle our finances and everything else. So why would you do that? Okay? There are so many things in the scriptures already, and it covers, I mean, it covers, it, it covers whether or not you should marry, who you can marry. Well, when I came to Catherine and the big questions of marriage, I mean, I'm, I'm getting really practical here this morning, right? Should I marry this person? I mean, what do you expect? I mean, do you think God's going to send you an email that says yes, no, or maybe? Come on. He gives us his word. Use his word. When I met Catherine, she was clearly a Christian. Check. Did iron sharpens iron? Did she make me a better Christian? Absolutely. Check. Right? Go to the book of Solom Song of Solomon. That says a lot about romantic love. Did she rev my engine? Check. No, I'm serious. That's good. Right? You marry somebody that you're attracted to and that, that you, you want to be with romantically and, and those things. Okay, check. God put the Song of Solomon in there for a reason. Right? Uh, oh, I took her to my mom who had definitely done thumbs down on some others through the years. But I brought her out to the house, and man, the first night she was there, we were still dating. We weren't even engaged yet. And my mom pulls me aside and says, if you don't marry this girl, I raised a fool. <laughs> right? There you go. Mom was, had a way with words. Right? I mean, you just go through the process, right? And you know what you find? Was it God's will? Absolutely. God gave me a wonderful wife. Wonderful wife. Okay? This is how he works in God's will. But it does clash with our own. Listen, I want, I want you to understand something. How do you pray this sincerely and joyfully? I want you to remember a very important principle. Remember this. And when you pray for your will to be done, you're praying for the will of your dearest Father in heaven to be done. You're not praying for the will of some tyrannical dictator to be done. You're not praying for the will of some ogre to be done. You're praying for the will of the dearest father who loves you so passionately that he sent his own son to die for your sins and for my sins so that we can have eternal life with him. That's whose will you're praying for. And when you pray for his will, you're praying for something that is going to bring glory to him. And he says, it's actually praying for your own good and when you're in the middle of that horrible trial and that suffering that you're now experiencing and you pray, not my will, but your will be done, he says that trial, that pain, it is but momentary suffering in comparison to the glory of eternity that I am preparing for you. This is in your life, and it is unfolding in your life, and I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, but it is in your life for a good purpose, and I'm going to bring something so good out of it. Will you trust me as your dear, dear loving Father? Will you trust me that I am good? And that this is in your life for my glory 
for your good. And I'm going to do something stupendously awesome out of this. Will you trust me? Will you pray joyfully? Your will be done. Listen, if you're having troubles, pray in that. Confess it. Turn to God and say, God, give me, Holy Spirit, give me the grace to pray your will be done with joy, with acceptance, with sincerity. And I got good news for you. This is the will of your dear Father, who is the all-powerful, omnipotent God. And the good news there is that when you've missed his will, you violate his revealed will, you go off the reservation, you, you marry a non-Christian, you, you, you sin. I mean, you just violate every possible thing. Or in your life, you did something in your past that was so egregiously sinful. It's clearly a violation of his preceptive will. Guess what? You are praying your will be done to the dear Father who is omnipotent, who has the absolute power and ability to take that complete messed up job that you did and decision that you made, and he said, I, because you love me, I work all things to your good because you are called according to my purpose. I'm going to take that complete messed up thing that you did and I'm going to wrap it into my will and do something good with it. Is that not awesome? Because how often do we make the wrong decision and the wrong choice? Because we're living out our will we may even package it as God's will. <laughs> and we completely go the wrong way. And then when we realize it, and we confess, and we repent, it's like Jesus hits the reset button on the GPS of our life, and he goes, recalculating. Take that route back in here. Isn't that awesome? That our God is so powerful that he can get us right into his will and take all of our side roads and wrap them right back into his eternal plan. How can he do that? It's because his ways are not our ways. His mind is so far above our minds. His thoughts are so much deeper than our thoughts. That's our dearest father. Amen. Father, thank you that when we blow it, when we mess up, you don't write us off. But that when we come back and we repent and we acknowledge that what we did was just the exact opposite of your revealed will. You, you clean us up, and you even wrap that pain of that sin back into your will, and you, and you redeem it, and you use it for your glory and for our good. Thank you that even in our fallenness and our rebellion, when we will follow our will in spite of your will, you make it right, and you work it out for our good and for your eternal glory. And all this happens because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Thank you for the great gift of our Savior. In his name I pray, amen.